Welcome to this week's episode of the CPG View, the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders. All right, Russ, thank you so much for joining us. I've been a big fan of yours for some time. We're both data enthusiasts and strategy enthusiasts. So before we get started, I obviously know you, but for those that don't, would you mind introducing yourself and the company you're with? Sure. Thanks, Don, for having me. I'm Russ Derringer, founder and CEO of Stratably, which we say is the firm that closes the e-commerce knowledge gap each and every week. And we do that through written research, live events, and then uh, consulting engagements as well, primarily with large and medium-sized consumer brands. Awesome. Well, you you shared something uh, recently on LinkedIn that I thought was very interesting. I was wondering if we could talk about that a bit. You know, in in what you shared, I, a couple of questions I had jotted down. One was, can you elaborate on how the pandemic pushed marketplace control issues to the back burner for many brands? And and also, what do you think the primary challenges faced by these companies and 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 how it might have affected their operations and perhaps sales strategy? Yeah, so um, you know the genesis of writing about marketplace control really arose from having several conversations with consumer brands over the last couple of months, and it just kind of kept coming up. So I thought I would sort of dust off the topic because it's a topic that the industry collectively has been aware of for a long, long time. And there's actually a lot of good content out there on marketplace control, but I wanted to approach it sort of from our you know, place of independence. We're not selling marketplace control services or anything like that. So what does like an objective independent uh, take uh, look like? Um, and so um, for brands in doing our research and we connected with a lot of different brands to understand where, where they were at with their journey on marketplace control, what consistently came up was that they had pushed, as you as your question alluded to, they had pushed marketplace control efforts to the back burner uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're all aware just how disruptive that pandemic was in a variety of ways, including uh, from a business perspective. So you think about all of the global supply chain issues that arose, um, companies were just very focused on immediate concerns around uh, uh, producing product, inventory management, even trying to sort of figure out uh, changing consumer behavior, all of that was going on. And so that crowded out any type of longer term planning that or, or strategy changes that these brands would have otherwise undertook. So that was in 2020, 2021 uh, to, to a, a degree. The pandemic is, you know, sort of, we're past that point in time, we're past a lot of these immediate issues, but now what's crowding out marketplace control from rising to the top is, especially in discretionary categories, sales have been struggling uh, over the last year. And so when we talk about it, maybe we'll get into this a little bit, if, if a brand has to turn off certain distribution channels because they're upsetting uh, their business on Amazon and other marketplaces, they're leery of doing that in an environment where they're desperate to drive sales growth. Sales growth is very anemic 
for a lot of discretionary brands. So we had the pandemic that kind of pushed it to the back burner. Now we've got a little bit of a sales slump depending on what category you're in. So that's making it tough for brands to take action when it comes to marketplace control. Very interesting. I, I think as I think about this in my experience in an operating capacity over the years, it's ironic how convenient the loosening of the belt can be in, in times of distress, whether it's macro distress or whether it's you know quarterly performance of a publicly traded company or private company, what have you. And you know, it's I heard this years ago, and it's it's been so true as I've found it over the years, is oftentimes pricing and the impact of pricing in the market is a direct reflection of your distribution discipline. And many companies have a tough time with that because distribution discipline requires perhaps not chasing the you know, deal at the end of a year or deal at the end of a quarter uh, and, and really prioritizing longer term profit, sustainable profit over the short term spike in sales. And, you know, it's just it's fascinating how that's evolved and, and it continues and it, it continues to be more and more prevalent, especially as we see more and more brands become um push for online growth on marketplaces, that discipline now is even more important and imperative than it was five years ago. And I think, and I wrote about this, this issue, if you if brands are facing this marketplace control issue, it's not going to get any smaller, easier, you know, five years from now, right? So e-commerce is, is quite a bit bigger than it was five years ago, Amazon in particular. Uh, for a lot of uh, a lot of brands, that's really only going in one direction, and, that, and that's growth. You know, it's growing; it's going to become bigger. So we'll have to sort of at some at some point bite the bullet and deal with these issues. And and so the post the 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 article I wrote was really just meant to try to outline what these issues are and ways to resolve them, and also kind of what holds companies back just so we can have sort of an open conversation about it. Cause sometimes we're talking about marketplace control and there's some real elephants in the room that can affect people right. in the organization. And that really matters. And that can hold a lot of companies back. So we've got to address those things. Otherwise we'll never sort of progress. No, great point. Well, similar to that thread of conversation, you know, some brands have been reluctant to cut off any distribution even if distributors might be reselling their products on the marketplace and, and perhaps with little disregard to pricing policies, can you speak to the risks and rewards of this strategy and what you believe a healthier approach might be? I think the rewards are pretty clear in the sense that you can continue to do business as you've always done it. You know, So there's continuity in that, there's simplicity in that. There's no co tough conversations really needed other than like with your e-commerce team kind of squawking in your ear uh, consistently. But, you know, there's no changes to comp needed, et cetera. So there's no real and there's there's no real risk to a near term sales disruption. So I like how you brought in kind of near short term versus long term thinking. So the rewards are just sort of a business continuity uh, benefit. I think the risks, though, 
are are pretty apparent, right? So you're, you're risking harming your brand. So for example, three Ps list your product and they put up lousy content as an example, or maybe you're selling a more of a premium product or just a product that you don't uh, promote, uh, price promote very frequently. And now you've got three Ps up there and they're offering it on a, on a steep discount, which means you know, you're building that expectation with a consumer First, first and foremost, that's hurting your brand. But now you've also got a bunch of tough conversations coming your way with your other retail partners that are going to point to Amazon or another marketplace and say, "Look, like you've got sellers over here offering this stuff for less than that, less than you're even offering it to me at wholesale." And so it hurts your brand and it hurts your business, not just with on Amazon, but with other channels and other retail partners. Um, it, it's bigger than just Amazon. So, you know, in addition, 3Ps, they start competing with your own direct offering. So they win the buy box. Your Amazon team internally is getting hurt. You might be uh, making less profits ultimately because you're selling the same item to the same Amazon consumer, but now you have a middle middleman getting some of the margin. So there's all sorts of challenges. 3Ps could be shipping out product that's damaged or old, and then you start getting bad reviews. All of these issues are, are real risks to letting sort of the marketplace run amok. I think a healthier approach, at least, you know, big picture is you want to have a clear distribution strategy, meaning you want to have clear answers to what is the reason for selling into ABC channel? What does that channel do for us? Do they open up a new customer base or a new use case? For example, if distributor partners are not serving a strategic need for your Amazon or even like a walmart.com marketplace business. So for example, if, if they're not acting as like a inventory backstop or they're not helping you test new products on those on those platforms, then why are we why do we want them to be selling on Amazon? Let's let those distributors go capture the demand that we originally, wanted them to capture in their own channels. There's no real overlap needed. We've got an Amazon team internally that's responsible for driving the, the Amazon uh, business. So that's kind of the healthy approach, I think, is like, what is the point? What is our strategy with each distribution partner? Let's get to clarity on that. And then let's make sure that, you know, they're following through on, on that goal. Yeah, you bring up a great point I wanted to mention before we go to the next question is, you know, we talk about something on the pattern side of the Dave calls the Dave, the founder of, of pattern calls the profitability death spiral and and high level. It has eight points and it goes downward. Right. And it starts with kind of I've got it up on my screen here, but e-commerce booms and then three P sellers flock to marketplaces. Competition drives down online prices. You and I have lived this lost buy box ensues. You just said that. Brick and mortar uh, matches online pricing. So the, the the team gets the call from Walmart or Target or insert X retailer, doesn't really matter. Then price concessions are given, retail profit erodes, then e-commerce profit erodes, and then all channels are less profitable and nobody's happy. Um, no. So I think your point is, is spot on is let's be really clear around what our strategies are for each distribution channel. So we have a very clear point of view of how we're going to going to create value. And I loved your point around, hey, is this channel going to help us with excess inventory? Okay. Is this channel going to help us with X, Y, Z? But 
not all channels I don't believe should be treated the same because they're not. And if you, and if a brand does, they fall right into the, they fall prey to the, to the profitability spiral. And one of the things that came up in our research that relates to having a clear strategy for each distribution channel is then, okay, what's the right assortment for that distribution channel? So then we can start talking about price pack architecture and designing the right assortment for the right channel. And then as you have a semi-differentiated assortment across these channels, and that can start to help you get more, more marketplace control as well. So it is, it's very simple. It's kind of like, uh, I'll draw the analogy to retail media, like understanding, like what is your goal with a retail media campaign? And then let's measure metrics that match that goal. That's very basic, but oftentimes like difficult to execute. And so similarly with distribution strategy, what is the purpose for, for a given channel? And are they, are they doing that for us or not? If not, then we, then we need to change our thinking uh, in terms of doing business with that partner. I love that. One other question I was thinking of reading your article, which again, I just thought was so thought provoking on my side is you know, one of the reasons that brands struggle with implementing marketplace control policies or solutions is the difficulty of measuring negative impacts associated with price matching and loss of brand control. Could you share any insights you have or potential methods that brands might think of to quantify or convince internal skeptics? I think the difficulty in measurement and I wrote about this in an article, kind of provides a lot of fodder inside the organization for skeptics to point to. It's like, well, we can't, you know, granularly or precisely measure the impact on some of these, some of these things. So that uncertainty is, I think, a reality when we talk about wrapping our arms around this marketplace control issue. But first and foremost, and you 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 brought this up already, it's important to talk about these issues as more than just an Amazon issue. This isn't just the Amazon team suggesting something that's going to benefit the Amazon account. This is about the whole brand and all of your retail and distribution relationships. So in the profit uh, death spiral you, were, you, you uh, mentioned, Don, that's, that is really the full picture that needs to be considered. Your other retail partners, they can see what's happening on Amazon. They might start price matching. And then your margins on all your channels are starting to deteriorate. They're coming to you saying, hey, what's going on here? We need concessions. We need true ups. We need better prices. And then, then those are the conversations you're having with those important retail partners. Instead of having conversations about how do we grow the business? How do we innovate? How do we do things you know, in a unique way or whatever? You never get to that stuff because you're talking about the margins are eroded because you've got total loss of control. So it's not just an Amazon thing. It's a market-wide issue. Um, and that's, I think, that helps to cut through and, and get senior leaders inside organizations to pay attention. Now, within the Amazon account, you, you can measure uh, certain elements. For example, track the, like what's happening to pricing of certain ASINs. How has pricing trended over time? Are prices declining pretty dramatically? And if so, is that acceptable to the brand? Uh, probably not. Uh, related to that, net PPM, what's happening to our profit margin on, on Amazon? Is that stable? Is it under pressure? 
Why is it under pressure? What are we doing uh, that is creating those issues for us? Um, advertising efficiency, you know, are you seeing, are you seeing um, 3P sellers essentially compete against you on the same ASINs and then your advertising efficiency goes down? So there are like tangible things you can measure to demonstrate, hey, this is, this is negatively impacting our Amazon business, but then let's branch out and say like, look at what's happening <laughs> across our, across our, our business. And this is a big issue typically uh, for, for um, you know, a lot of brands. Yeah, great, great point. Just a quick time check. Are you okay for one more question? Yep. Totally. Okay. All right. Awesome. I know we jammed out for the first 10 minutes yeah. about, uh, all right. Awesome. Well, finally, before we close out, I have one more, one, one more question for you. And this, I think this is, might be the, the best one. Um, so, you know, as I think about change and transformation, any of us, it all it typically comes down to how am I impacted? Or if you're a person on the other side of a change, how does this impact me? So they can begin to process what is going to take place. And that's kind of the genesis for this last question. How do marketplace control measures affect internal sales teams, particularly when it comes to their compensation and future opportunities? And what are your thoughts of how brands could potentially mitigate these negative impacts while still maintaining control over their marketplace distribution? There's different groups inside organizations and you've got a distribution channel, you have salespeople responsible for that channel. And if that distribution channel is selling meaningful amounts through Amazon, if those distribution partners are selling meaningful amounts through Amazon, and then you go out and you prohibit that, those customers are going to order less product from you. And then your sales team is going to be negatively impacted. The flip side of that coin is that you likely have people responsible for the Amazon account directly. And that team, if they're dealing in a, in a situation with a lot of marketplace control issues, they're artificially limited in what they can do because you're letting, you're, you're, you're almost aiding distributors to compete with them. So they're not realizing their full potential on the account and, and they're almost competing against the company that they work, that they, that they work for. So those incentives and this is what I was talking about earlier with sort of the elephant in the room, the, the, that dynamic and those incentives have to be considered and worked through if you're making changes. You can't just suddenly cut distribution channels off at the knees and then not change what's expected of the sales team that was selling into, into those customers. You have to account for that. And even maybe for the Amazon team, those expectations go up because now we've sort of resolved uh, what was holding you back. So I think that's why a lot of these, a lot of brands that go through the process of implementing marketplace control, they tend in, in based on our research, they tend to try to implement those changes at the start of a fiscal year so that the goals and the comp can be set up appropriately. Cause it's very challenging to change that stuff, you know, midway through the year. So that's a very kind of practical, you know, observation of, if you're going to be undertaking this work, know that there's people that are going to be impacted in the organization. Their comp is going to be impacted. Let's acknowledge that and then let's plan for it and let's implement some of these changes around our, our beginning of our next fiscal year so that then we can just make sure everyone's feeling good about what they can achieve and what and what they uh, what they can take home uh, if if they achieve those goals. 
I love it. It feels like I'm hearing a common thread from you during our time together here of let's acknowledge the elephants in the room in the very beginning of the process. So everyone is clear on uh, any anything that could be, be driving motivations one way or the other. And I think having lived through the last you know, two decades of doing this, it is very valuable and, and sage advice when you're going, begin, beginning to go on a transformation journey or embark on large changes in the organization. So, yeah, so much of the, you know, so, so much of what we talk about is disruptive to tried and true ways of doing business for, for many brands. And, and so there's new roles, there's new responsibilities, there's new ways of working together, et cetera. And so the people piece, I think is really one of the most fascinating elements of studying this world of, of e-commerce and it's something that I get really excited about, but, but it's so core, you know, toward to, to companies sort of charting that, that path to e-commerce excellence. They've got to get those, the right functions, the right ways of working together, et cetera. Correct. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a struggle, and and a lot of the organization is going to feel threatened and left behind. Awesome. Well, I will ask you if there's any one piece of advice that you have for an e-commerce leader as we think about we're in the year 2023, embarking on the future ahead. Any one piece of advice you might give? Yeah, good question. I think uh, maybe I'll come back to what uh, one of the elements that we were talking about earlier, which is for e-commerce leaders, you're oftentimes trying to drive change inside the organization. And I think if you can, and if you have a clear perspective on whatever change it is you're trying to drive, talk about the impact beyond just e-commerce, beyond a given account. Talk about it at the company level that it's not just an e-commerce thing. This is a business thing. This is a retail market thing. If you can start to expand how you talk about some of these issues to address the whole company, I think that gives you a lot more credibility and that gives you a bigger chance at making the, 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 the change that you seek. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you on again. Been a fan for, for a long time now and can't thank you enough for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Don. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the CPG View, the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders.